We're so glad you guys are here this weekend. Everybody doing okay? You look good? You feel good? Mm-hmm. Everybody's uh, thoroughly stuffed? Did you eat more Thanksgiving Day or the day after? The day after is where the money is. I'm just saying. All right. That's, that's just my thought. Uh, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for watching online. Those of you that are at home, you're in Palm Bay, you're in Deland. Uh, we're just glad that you're all there. Before we get into the message tonight, I'm going to hold this up so the camera can get in. Uh, out in the lobby, there are ornaments on a tree. It's called Christmas Hope Tree. And let me tell you what this does. Uh, first of all, let me explain to you that anybody locally, uh, they're being taken care of. Because somebody's going to say, I can't believe we're doing Christmas for people around the world and not taking care of our own. Guaranteed. All right, guaranteed. That's already been handled and is being handled. These ornaments are going to the most difficult places in the world where a lot of the places we can't even tell you. You you know how that story is. Uh, But we're able to get the gospel in by doing things like this. We take goats. We take in Bibles. There's ways to get things done. That's what this program is. So this is how it works. Okay, for those of you that are under 50, you're not going to need this, but for the rest of us... Uh, like me, there's a, some kind of a square thing down here. They call it some kind of a code, this QR code, doesn't this blow you away? All right. So you just hold your phone over it and the options pop up. Okay. So I have the options up here because I'm incapable. And, uh, so here's, here's the option. Uh, you can buy seeds. One of the things we try to do is make people where they're not dependent on us anymore by giving them ways to create their own crops. Seeds are five bucks. So you can, you just hold your phone over it. It'll pop up. You can pick seeds, five bucks or any as many seeds as you want. You can buy a goat for 60 bucks. Clean water for a family, $50. Refugee care, $50. Help for a widow, $40. Medicine for people in Africa, But the gospel is going with every one of these. Now, for those of you that don't understand the technology at all, there will be people out there to help you. Or you can take it home, and on the back, you can do it the old-fashioned way, and you can actually write on it and mail it in, or write on it and leave it at our guest services. But it really does work. You can just put your phone on it. Everything will pop up. You can select what you want to do to make a difference in somebody's life. Okay? So that's that. And uh, this is the last of our legacy series. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've talked about this, I don't know, somewhere along the line in this series. Two or three weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Paul, when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, they struggled with money. When John wrote to the church in Ephesus in Revelation, he said to them, you guys have lost your first love. Well, how did they lose their first love? Because something else had captured their heart. And for the Ephesian people, it was, it was money. It was material things. So when Paul finishes the book of 1 Timothy, writing to that church in Ephesus, he again emphasizes the last thing he's going to say to them is, Hey, by the way, and he hits them one last time about the importance of legacy. Let me, take, let, me, let me go through five generations for you. William White lived in southeastern Missouri, down in what they call the Boot Hill of Missouri, Cape Girardeau. This was five generations ago. 
And the story goes that he would get up on Sunday morning, and it snows a lot in southern Missouri. It's pretty rough down there. You get the worst of the heat, mosquitoes, and you get the snow. His wife would get up early on Sunday morning, and she would stoke up the wood stove, and she would heat up rocks. Dad would go out and get the horses and bring the horses and hook them up to the buggy. They would take the hot rocks out, put them under a blanket, and they would put their feet on the blanket so they could stay somewhat warm on their way to church that was three miles away. Now that sounds like walking uphill to school both ways, right? True story. True story. Well, does that matter? Well, his father served in Korea and ended up being an elder in a church in Illinois and had a huge impact on sending dozens of young men and women to Bible college that are preaching the gospel all over the world, including his children who are all serving in ministry and his son who happens to be my best friend who's preaching the gospel and shares the gospel all over the world through his commitment to missions. Now, his children are in the ministry and they're raising his grandchildren in the Lord. That's a legacy. That's a legacy. We're not talking about silver and gold. That's a legacy. You're saying, wait a minute, I've got none of that. I crawled out of the sewer and found Jesus. Okay, where's it going to start? Somebody has to be great-grandpa. Would you, does that make sense? Somebody's got to start the legacy. If you are in the legacy, then you keep it going and make sure you're faithful and you pass it on. But maybe you've got to start the legacy. It's okay. So start the legacy. I don't know where it started in the White family. I don't know where it starts in my family. I'm not sure you know where it started in yours, but I know that we only can go forward so that we leave a legacy for those who come behind us. Now, I don't know if you've heard this story, but there's a story of a hairstylist. And he, he was kind of that kind of a guy. And he, he well, he had the, the local florist come in and got a haircut. And she said, what do I owe you? And he goes, look, you are so good to this town I'm not going to charge you. So the next day, the barber, hairstylist, comes back in. There's a dozen roses sitting in front of his place. He's like, well, that's really nice. That day, the town baker came in, got a haircut. He goes, what do I owe you? He goes, look, man, you are a great service to this community. I'm not going to charge you. The next day, he gets there, a dozen donuts sitting in front of his shop. That day, a politician came in. Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> that day a politician came in and he got a hair. I don't know who that is, so forgive me if you know who it is. Um, a politician came in and got a haircut and said, what do I owe you? He said, nothing. You do so much for the community. It's the least I can do. And the next day when he came to work, there were 50 other politicians lined up for a free haircut. <laughs> yeah, you do with that what you will. That was... Um, as far, far enough away from an election, we can just go for it now. All right, stand with me out of respect for God's word. Let's, let's tackle this. Into the letter, he's, what did I forget? Let me really lay it all out. Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life, eternal life. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone. Oh, we skipped something. Where'd we go? We can solve this. Verse 20. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Hang on to that. Which some have professed and in so doing have wandered away from the faith. May God's grace be with you. You can be seated. So he starts off. He says to this, the last thing he wants to say to this church is where to place their hope. Now, have you found that sometimes you can't find where you place things? You spend half your life looking for your keys, your phone. I know I had my keys because I'm here, so I must have, I must have brought them, right? right? We all go through that, but I'm going to tell you about the last 24 hours in my life, things not being... Staying where I put them. All right. I had a, I was out, I'm out running errands and I had a cup of coffee with me and I've got a little cough right now. It's one of those coughs that sneak up on you. You're not, you know, it's coming and you cough and you're prepared for it. But ever so often it just like gets you. I took a big drink of coffee and blew it all over my truck all over my pants, all over my shirt. I walked in proudly to the store, bought what I needed to buy, and walked out. Last night, I went to Chick-fil-A, picked up a peppermint shake. I turned the corner onto Granada, dumped the entire thing into my lap. My truck now smells very disgusting. So this morning when I got up, I had a funeral. So I got up and I've got my suit on. I do have one. And, um, and I was going to get a towel to put in my truck to cover up this milkshake. When I did, I dropped a spaghetti jar that exploded all over the floor, all over my suit, all over my shoes. So if I have a strange smell of oregano and peppermint, you now know... You know, at some point, you just want to just go sit down somewhere. And I didn't even get mad. At that point, I was just like, okay, I just please stay away from me. You'll be safe if you just stay over there. Things don't always go the way I want. They don't stay put. You have to make them stay put. He said, place your hope. You got to put your hope there and you got to keep it there. Because what's this church's problem? Their problem is they keep getting pulled away from the true hope by a lot of false hope. Because false hope's all over the commercials. False hope's all over TV. False hope is all over the news. Instead of the real hope that we have in Jesus. We get so distracted thinking, this is going to make me happy. This is going to make me fulfilled. He said, no, no, no. He said, 
the word the word says it it says command it it is to intentionally intentionally make sure everybody knows that if you're rich in this world don't get caught up in that but put your hope in God don't put your hope in this world because this world is fading away quicker every day and one day very soon we're going to leave this world and we're going to leave it all behind so place your hope in God the keys the the phone. Man, those are the two that I lose the most. And they don't stay where I put them. That's what drives me crazy. Because if they stayed where I put them, I'd know where they were. But I'm constantly looking. Even though I am very consistent, because I have a small variety of ADHD and some other letters, so I'm very particular about where I put things. So when I lose things, it really bothers me. It really bothers me when I place something somewhere and it doesn't stay put. But the truth is, when it comes to your faith, you have to choose daily and sometimes throughout the day. No, my hope is not in my wife. My hope is not in my husband. My hope is not in my bank account. My hope is not in my job. My hope is in Jesus. He said, place your hope there and hold on. Now, let me tell you something. Here's a quote, all right? The serpent, Satan, in the Garden of Eve, in the Garden of Eden, the serpent did not tempt Adam and Eve to steal, to kill, or to commit adultery, but he tempted them to question God's word. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any of the trees? Actually, God never said that at all, did he? God said there's one tree. One tree on all the earth that you can't eat from. Leave it alone. That's the one thing they went for. But again, what is Satan's ploy? Get you and me to doubt the word of God. To place your hope somewhere else. To place your hope in things in this world. To place your hope on somebody in this world. But the truth is, when it comes your time to die, when it comes my time to die, there is nothing this world can do to help me in eternity. That's why Jesus died. That's why John warns them, guys, you've lost your first love. You're still doing a lot of good stuff, but you've got to get back to remembering where your hope comes from and place it solidly on God, not in riches. And then he says, to do what with my riches? He said, do good deeds. This is one of my favorite pictures. I think it's from last year. Uh, this is, uh, well, let's see if you know. Tell me who this is serving this young kid Thanksgiving dinner. Anybody remember Alice Cooper? School's out for the summer, all right? I'm just saying, all right? And I looked at the picture, and a lot of things went through my mind, you know. There's, there's animals and lots of other crazy things that go on. But you may not know that Alice Cooper is a sold-out Christian. He actually grew up in a pastor's home. Must have broke mom and dad's heart many, many times. Maybe you're in that situation right now as a parent. Alice Cooper, I don't know, it's probably been 20 years ago, he turned back, made a commitment to Jesus Christ, and he's been following him ever since. And uh, Alice Cooper is very involved, very involved in helping the community. And I'm looking at the picture, and I'm thinking, this kid has no idea. He has no idea who's serving him dinner. But then on the other hand, does it really matter? Because we're all called to be servants of Christ. That's not his name, by the way, if you'd like to look it up, but... His mom really did not name him Alice, but you're welcome to Google that. Um, 
But we're called to do good deeds. And in Matthew 25, we get into great detail about what those good deeds are. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, taking care of widows and orphans. It's almost like everything I just told you about that's in those ornaments is what is set up here so that you and I can daily do what God has called us to do. Listen, Satan is not bothered when you and I come to church. He's not intimidated at all. He does get bothered, however, when we act on our faith. He does get bothered when we actually worship. We're clapping our hands. We're using our voices. We're raising our hands and surrender to God. We're, we're giving to help people in need. We're feeding hungry people. We're clothing the naked. We're sending resources into to hurricane-ravaged areas. That's the kind of stuff that bothers Satan because now Christianity has become real to you and me. He says, do good. Place your hope in God, not in riches, and with your riches, do good. So step back and say, well, what could I do that's good? Now, I'm just going to throw out a bonus, all right? Because I think as Christians, there's more than just feeding somebody. Because what happens with a lot of well-meaning Christian groups is they end up just becoming another social organization. Here's food. God bless you until you go to hell. That's somewhat counterproductive. The goal is for me to give you food and tell you about Jesus, to give you medical care. I'm not going to not give you the medical care if you don't accept Jesus. That's not how we do things. But with the physical help, we bring the hope of the gospel. And then it's up to people what they do with it. That's what Paul is describing. Use your resources to do good so that people get to hear about heaven. You can't make anybody believe. I can't make anybody believe. But I'm still convinced that half of the world would accept Jesus if somebody would just give them a chance. If somebody would just tell them how great Jesus is, what Jesus has done in our life, and then ask this simple question. Would you like to accept Jesus? We don't, we don't ask that last question. We tell our story. We tell the testimony. We'll tell them all about the cross. You know what? I did it one time. A lady was dying. And I got done. It was brilliant. It was one of the most incredible gospel presentations you've ever heard. Just messing with you. All right. And I got done, and I'm thinking, this lady's going to be dead in about three days. I knew that. And I said, you want to accept Jesus? She said, yes. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, now what do I do? Well, long story short, we ended up getting her to the house. She got baptized in my swimming pool because we couldn't get her into anything else because uh, she said, I, I need to get this done. And I was almost taken back, but why wouldn't somebody say yes? Why wouldn't somebody say yes? You know what? If they tell me no, I go on to the next person. But this is not China. You're not going to get killed. This is not North Korea. At least offer your story and ask the question. But listen, you don't ask the question when people have a need. Hey, I see your children are starving. Would you like to accept Jesus? No, you take dinner over, and then you earn that right. You take clothes over, you take, you take coats over, you take sweatshirts over. You stop by and say, hey, I, I know it's been tough since your wife died. And then you earn the right to say, hey, can I just tell you where I found hope? 
And by doing good, you change the world. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. We talked about this last week. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accomplished by action. It is simply dead. Faith without works is dead. So place your hope firmly. If you've not accepted Jesus, accept Jesus. You've not been baptized, be baptized. If you, if you have made that decision, re-anchor yourself, do good with what you've got, and share that story, and ask that question. And then here's the big one. He says, above everything else, guard the gospel. That's the part that I switched there in verse 20. He says, Timothy, guard the gospel. This is not the first time he told Timothy that. This is obviously a theme that Paul has had with Timothy since Timothy planted this church in Ephesus. By the way, Timothy planted this church. Timothy's a young man. We don't know how old he was. He might be 20, 25 years old. And the church in Ephesus, are you ready for this? It grew to 50,000 people. 50,000 people in a city that was nothing but rampant with idols. But when they heard about Jesus, now they didn't have huge buildings like this. They did have a huge Roman theater. But they met in homes, and 50,000 people in that city ended up becoming believers because somebody placed their hope because they continued to do good deeds. And then Paul said this in 2 Timothy. He said, what you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ. Guard the good deposit. Guard the gospel, the good news about Jesus that has been entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know how you guard the gospel? By passing it on. We live in an age where the church has begun to believe that guarding the gospel means that we put it in a box and lock it down. No, the best way to guard the gospel is to keep talking about it. And let me tell you, you've heard me say it many, many times from this stage, but our culture, the church in America today, about 90% of the churches do not believe in the gospel. They do not believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. They don't believe the cross is the answer. They don't believe the Bible is infallible. So they are preaching a false gospel. Now that sounds harsh. It sounds harsh. I'm just telling you the truth. The simple truth is, Jesus said there's one way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. So I don't care how eloquently you say it, you still are wrong. There is one way to heaven. Now, well, that seems ex exclusive. It's not exclusive at all. Anybody can come. You just have to accept Jesus. It's that simple. So we're not excluding anybody. Jesus died for everybody, right? There's the message. But if the church waffles on that, if the church waffles and says, you know what? Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, a stick, a horse, it doesn't matter. We all end up in heaven. Why do I want your Jesus? What you just said is the cross means nothing. Jesus means nothing. The blood means nothing. Everything in the scripture means nothing. People are quick to throw away the book of Genesis. They say, ah, it's just a bunch of myths and fables. Ironically, Jesus quoted from Genesis 1 to 11 16 times. 
and every time assuming fact. He just says, well, here's what it says. Since he was there, I'm going to go with his speculation on that topic. Guard the gospel. You know, here's a picture of the, at the tomb of the unknown soldier. This may show you how twisted I am, but I like watching videos online of people that mess with these guys. That may sound un-American, but I love it when people think they can mess around, talk, interrupt. It doesn't end well when you mess with these guys because they are guarding the most precious thing in America, the unknown soldiers that gave their lives for our country. And these guys are serious. They are intense. They've given their life for this. They know the, the people, the bones in, the, in that box. They've given their life for this country. And they're not going to let anybody show disrespect. It does not matter who you are. That's what we're told to do with the good news about Jesus, to guard it. But the best way, the only way to guard the good news about Jesus is to keep telling it and repeating it and repeating it and repeating it so that it goes all over the world. Spurgeon said this, I think sometimes again, I don't know if you've heard this phrase, my friends and I use it amongst ourselves, that we, we're, we've become a tin-ply culture. Um, since toilet paper is such a big, big deal uh, in our society today, um, you know, sometimes you end up with this, this uh, I call it half-ply toilet paper. It's only one-sided. You turn it over and it's not there. That's, that's pretty bad stuff. Um, <laughs> But most of the people in our society today are ten-ply. And we've become so soft that we forgot what made this country great. We've forgotten what made the church of Jesus great. And, and we got to get back to that. And this is what Charles Spurgeon wrote 300 years ago because he saw his church getting soft. And he said, remember that our Bible is a blood-stained book. The blood of martyrs is on the Bible. The blood of translators and confessors. The doctrines which we preach to you are doctrines that have been baptized in blood. Swords have been drawn to slay the confessors of these doctrines. And there is not a truth which has not been sealed by them at the stake or the block, people's heads being cut off, where they have been slain by the hundreds. And yet we expect some kind of a soft Christianity. Place your hope, do good, and guard the gospel. Now let me show you how quickly this can happen. Clayton Kershaw, arguably one of the greatest pitchers of modern time. This is a picture of him at the end of the 2019 World Series. Things did not go well. Uh, two, two or three times, I believe, the Dodgers have lost the World Series. And yet this guy is absolutely incredible. By the way, sold out for Jesus. They interviewed him. They cut his interview off at the All-Star game a couple years ago because they said, if you, weren't, if you weren't a ball player, what would you be doing? That was the question they were asking everybody. And the one that was asking the question obviously had already heard the gospel that day because they said, I know, never mind, you'd be a missionary. So he had already shared the gospel. He had already told that reporter what his life was all about. But this is 
where he was at the end of last season. This is where he was at the end of this year. I'm not a Dodger fan at all. But I am a Clayton Kershaw fan. When you accept Jesus, folks, that's the transformation that takes place. And it doesn't take a year. It happens immediately. You say, I'm lost, I'm dying, I'm going to hell. But when you accept Jesus Christ, the transformation is instantaneous. But what about the past? What about all the games I've lost? What about all the things I've done in the past? In a split second, when you accept Jesus Christ, you're baptized into the water. We bury everything that's old and the brand new you comes up and the trophy's in your hand. That's what Jesus offers to all of us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would get it today. I pray that this weekend would be a weekend of salvation. Whether people are in Palm Bay, Deland, Ormond, they're watching somewhere around the world. This would be a day of surrender where we would place our hope fully in the gospel. That we would find new ways to invent good in a world that's found every way to do evil. And that, Lord, we would stand boldly on the word of God and guard the gospel, the blood that was shed for each one of us and ultimately for all of mankind. Lord, thank you that you took my life from the pit and allow me to hold up that trophy. And I pray for everybody who needs that trophy today. In Jesus' name, amen.